Today's text is from Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. Please follow along as I read the passage aloud for us. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, and to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those who, living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is God's word. Good morning, church. Aloha, welcome. Good to be with you this morning. Um, I will say it is so much colder than Hawaii here. Um, I have two kids, six and nine years old. We got in Friday night, and all day yesterday, it was like, Dad, bring us to every single playground we can go to. Because your playgrounds are amazing, but uh, man, it was cold doing that. But it was an amazing time yesterday, and just honored to be here this morning with you to continue our Advent series. But before we get into that, um, let me pray for our time. God, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for the gift of gathering Gathering in person and online, we know that for the last few years, we have not always been able to do this that, this way. And so we take today as a gift, and we take your word as a gift, take your son as a gift. Um, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and how it directs us and speaks to us. God, we thank you for this series that you have us here this morning in. And we thank you that you want to, desire to speak to us through your word. And so God, would you do that this morning? Speak through your word. God, each of us come in with different stuff going on. You know all of it. And you want to meet us right where we're at. And the good, the bad, and the ugly. Thank you that you are our good, good father that desires to speak to us this morning. Love you, God. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been watching online uh, the series, but as you guys know, or to give you a, a quick recap, over the last few weeks, we've heard from Ruthie talking about Mary, Naomi talking about Anna, and Pastor Jess last week talking about Zachariah and Elizabeth. And if you caught it, the text that I had, or we just read, is actually, I'm slightly biting off Jess last week. It was her text. This is Zachariah's, or part of it. It's Zachariah's prophecy of Christ's birth. And what I actually want to concentrate on this morning uh, is someone who Zachariah brings up, but is, in my opinion, very uh, rarely ever associated with Advent. And it's the person of Abraham. Um, you guys probably know about Abraham. He is the patriarch of the Jewish people. We see his life recorded in Genesis 11 through 25. And we don't know much about 
Abraham until, you know, the end of 11, beginning of 12. And at the very beginning of Genesis 12, there's a couple verses that are a profound promise that God gives to us, this kind of this unknown person, Abram, and he would later be called Abraham. But God gives, who would become the father of a nation, this kind of crazy promise of what he would do. Genesis 12, one through three, is referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. And it says this. This is the Lord speaking to Abram. And he says this. Leave your native country your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be best blessed through you. Okay, so if you put yourself in Abram's, Abraham's shoes, and you hear the Lord, who you don't know, say this to you. You have no kids. <laughs> this is crazy. Like, this is, doesn't make sense. You, you, there's a lot of questions that would go on in your mind, as you could imagine. And if you know any of the story, many of us have, have heard and know this story of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And the main reason why we use Abraham as an example of model faith is that when God gave him this covenant, you know, at the time, they didn't have kids, and it would be 30 years until they had a kid together to start this big nation, right? It's having the faith to believe God's promise even though they had nothing, or they didn't see how it was going to come about. Like, how would God build a nation from nothing? But for me... Why Abraham's waiting upon God's word and promise impresses me like even more than that. And that's a big one. That's more faith than I probably have to wait on God's promise of, of a child in a nation. But the reason why Abraham's waiting upon God's word and promises impresses me even more is that he didn't have a ton to go on when it came to proof and examples of God's character being tested and proven, right? Like if Abraham's hearing, there wasn't a ton of people around him of testimonies of God moving, right? If you go back to the book of Genesis, like think about it. Like before there was a huge lineage, which we don't really know anything about those people. Maybe he did. And there's Noah. Yes, Noah had some faith for sure. He did some weird things too, but credible faith, but in light of this huge thing that God was telling Abraham, like, there wasn't much for him to go on, right? For Abraham, like, who is this Lord? Who is this God? Is he even trustworthy? Because think about it. Like, for us, right, it's one thing if you know a person really well and you've seen them come through on their word, it builds you trust and reliability, so if they say even something like, hey, I'm going to go do that for you, you're like, well, they've, I trust them. I know them. Maybe. Or I kind of believe what they say because I have this track record. But Abraham doesn't, doesn't have that with God at this point of this promise. He doesn't have a lot to go on. 
So think about the faith that Abraham had to have to trust this more or less unknown God in his opinion. Abraham had to have a lot of faith to trust God and to be able to wait and watch as he ultimately would do just as he said he would. But here's here's where I want to make the connection from Abraham to us today. Is when it comes to waiting upon God in our own lives for answers to prayers we're praying or provision that we need from God or leading from God or, or God birthing new things in us when we're waiting for the things in our lives or even on a larger scale when we are praying to see renewal and kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Hear me on this. We don't actually wait in the same place of Abraham. We actually don't need the same type or measure of faith. Okay, hear me out. I'm not saying something too crazy here. You see, unlike Abraham, you and I today, we wait from a place with a mountain worth of evidence of God's faithfulness. Like we don't wait like Abraham waited. We're in a very different place in the timeline of God's relationship with his people than Abraham was. And unlike Abraham, we do have a great cloud of witnesses that have come before us. We have endless, countless stories of how God has always provided. He's always rescued. He's always led. He's always cared for his people. I mean, for a moment, let's think about that, right? If we track Israel's history, even from Abraham through Israel's story, through the prophets and the prophecies, I mean, just even like the Exodus story alone, That's why Israel was always telling Israel, their people, to to remember the Exodus story and the Passover and how God provided for them and freed them. I mean, that was one segment. If you're going from Abraham through the Exodus story to the promised land, to how he provided and gave to his people, how countless prophecies were fulfilled. And then where it crescendos is at the advent of his son Jesus, God's son Jesus, who would once and for all save us and rescue us and redeem us. Like there's millennia of evidence of God's faithfulness. And Jesus was the culmination of the story. And if that wasn't enough, since then, for 2,000 years, we have countless ways of how God has guided and provided for his people on a global scale. God has always showed up. God has always been faithful. God has always been good. You see how we stand in a very different place from Abraham. Abraham didn't have any of that. He was gambling. He was like, "Ah, I guess I'll trust that God. Nothing to go on. We have everything to go on. When has God not shown up? Like, when has he not come through? That would take much more faith to, like, believe that God wouldn't come through or wouldn't provide. 
It would take a ton of faith because that's just completely against his character and his track record. And the beauty is, even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot disown himself. First Tim, or Second Timothy 2.13. It's not even dependent upon us. God is always faithful, always has been, always will be. So, in light of that, mountain of evidence, in our waiting, so make it personal, right? In our unanswered prayers, the questions we have were whether God will provide for us or not. Will God lead me this next year? Will I know what job I'll have or where I'll live or how I'll make ends meet or or, or these, maybe there's new things that you feel like God is doing in you. We don't wait for these things like Abraham in the dark, but rather we wait from a, plow, a place with a mountain worth of evidence of God's faithfulness. So church, if you don't remember anything I say this morning, and if you're taking notes, or maybe you should, I want you to, to listen and hear this. God's past track record is our future assurance. God's past track record is our future assurance. Whatever the future is, we can bank that God's track record has been perfect. When we keep that, when we keep what God has done near to us, like when we hold that, what it does is it emboldens and it empowers our waiting. Right? Even if the thing we're praying for, you know, we're not getting in our timing or God has, you know, even if like we don't see it coming to pass, if we hold God's faithfulness like near to us, we know that God has always come through and there's no reason for him not to now. Because I think we, we think we think somehow we're different. My problem is different. My season is different. God, you don't understand. And he does. And even though we're unique, obviously, and we're special, God's like, your problem is not too big for me. The bill you need to pay, the job you don't like, where are you gonna live? Like, not, not, not a big deal to God. But for whatever reason, we, we go, if we don't hold God's faithfulness here, what happens is, is just we encounter something and we're like, the world's over. I, I, I can't even live. But you're like, no, remember what God did? Do you remember? This is so important to the people of Israel that um, if we were to fast forward from Abraham to Moses in Israel's history, Moses in Deuteronomy 6 would command Israel to do whatever it took to not forget what God had done for them. He like tried. He tried to tell them, reason with them in Deuteronomy 6 to not forget what God had done. I'll read it for you this morning. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 and verse 12. It says, Moses speaking, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. 
Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them around your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on your doorposts of your house and your gates. Be careful to not forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do you see how many like practical ways that Moses is like pleading with the children of Israel? Like talk to your kids about it before you go to bed. Put it on the doorpost, put it on your head. Like everything you can to not forget what God has done. Like I don't, for us, it's, that's like, reminders and sticky notes and fridges and mirrors and like that's what Moses is saying like do everything you can to not forget what God has done in the past and unfortunately I wish I could stand here to say and say Israel obeyed that command Israel's story unfortunately over and over would be that they failed to remember all that God had done for them they didn't recall all that God had done and said and not only did it get them into trouble, it like caused incredible harm to them as a nation and a people. It was devastating. And if we're honest, don't we do the same? It's easy to point the finger at Israel. How could they? How could they forget the Exodus story of their people? Well, if we're honest, like we're more like them than we'd like to admit. How quickly, right, can we forget how faithful God has been to us? How he's resurrected us from all kinds of messes, how he set us free from all kinds of things. Right, it's so easy for us to even, like we all joke, but I can't even remember tomorrow. I mean, excuse me, remember yesterday. <laughs> I can't remember either. But we say that a lot. Like, how was your day yesterday? You're like, I can't remember yesterday. Okay, you're like, I, I get the saying. I do the same thing. But that is not a good situation when it comes to you and the Lord and what he's done for you. Like, that's not a good situation. Forget everything else, but don't forget that. For me, where I get into trouble in my own life and how I can easily forget what God has done, for me, it's busyness. It's perpetual forward-facing uh, view of what life is, right? For me personally, um, I juggle a lot of things. I multitask, church planter, dad, husband, many things, many people, a mile a minute. I'm the life of the party. If you're wondering, I'm off to chart Enneagram 7. Um, extrovert, connector, like this is, this is probably a tone down me. <laughs> My hand movements, that's always all the time. But all of this, if I'm not careful, can cause me to not keep God's past track record right in front of my mind. I'm so that way that I easily forget to recall what God has done. And so when something comes up in my own life, instead of being confident in God's faithfulness, I crumble, I doubt, I'm quick to say, well, well God, I don't know if you can do that. And he's like, why? Why would you doubt me? Why would you doubt me? What have I not come through? Right? If you have kids, you, you know this real well. Like a, your, your kid, if they're young, you'll encounter something and they'll be like scared or they'll be unsure or whatever. And then you have to reassure them. You're like, well, remember we did that last week at that one place? 
So you'll be good with here. Remember that time we like went there? You're gonna be fine here because we did that. You're constantly reminding your kids because they don't remember. That they're gonna be fine because we already did that. And that was okay before, so it's gonna be okay again. So knowing me a little bit, um, you know, busy, many things, extrovert, forward-facing, why Hawaii has been so good for me and so hard at the same time is that uh, everything is just chill, more chill. It's just island time, like it's cool, like it's gonna be all right. Like whether or not you think that's a stereotype, it's all real anyway. Um, it's so laid back that I don't know if you've been there, I live on Oahu um, and like the main freeway, the busiest freeway, they have to post minimum speed limits. They have to. Like, that's never been ever said in California, ever. There's literally like a maximum, which is 55, and a minimum 45. So you just gotta be there, guys. Like, because people are just like, just cruising, so just so cruise that, and even, like, it's a joke, but there's stickers on cars that, will tell everybody that's not from there, slow down, this ain't the mainland. Just slow down, just slow down. Like, I had to learn this, but even like as, if you're going somewhere, this is so foreign if you're not from Hawaii, but if you're going somewhere, right, or you, you plan out your day, you gotta plan out your day, and you gotta plan out travel time, and you gotta go to meeting to meeting, and like, we gotta be on this thing or else it doesn't work. Well, in Hawaii, you have to build in what they call like talk story time. Talk story is just like talking, small talk, like how you doing? And so you can't just like rush throughout your day because if you see someone you know, you have to top, stop and talk story. You gotta stop. <laughs> You're like, wait, I gotta go. You're like, no, you don't. No, you don't. That's not, that's not. If you wanna be rude, sure. But you gotta stop. You just gotta stop. Just stop. So in a nutshell, you just can't get as much done. And you gotta just embrace that or else you gotta leave Hawaii. Like, I don't know, that's, that's just how it goes. Like, that's just how it works. Okay, like one more example, then I'll tie it, go back. Even going to the beach. Okay, I'm from California, I'm from here. Um, and in Hawaii, you know, a lot of people go to the beach all the time, obviously. And so when I first moved there, people were like, hey, come to the beach. And I get to the beach and I say, well, what are we gonna do at the beach? What's the activity? As I'm just used to like, are we gonna surf? Or are we gonna like barbecue? Like, what are we doing? Like, I need to know, I want to know, but also I want to, like, what are we doing at the beach? They're like, no, we're just at the beach. Like, what do you mean you're just at the beach? And they literally spend all day just hanging out at the beach, just, just doing whatever. Just talking, eating, but not doing anything. And for me, I'm just like, that's so foreign. So foreign to me. But why all these practical examples I share are good for me is that it causes me to slow down. Do less. And even these are funny examples. What, I, what, I, what it's been doing for me spiritually in a really good way is I find myself having more time to be reflective, recalling more of what God has done just because I'm not as busy. I'm not as forward-facing. Yeah, I'm not getting as much done. But the byproduct is that God is using this waiting, this forced waiting so that I can recall and remember what he's done for me. I don't know about you, but I would choose 
recalling what God has done over getting one more meeting in the day, any day. I know that might stir you a little bit, but waiting is really good for us. There is so much work for God to do in us when he has us wait. Even saying those very words, waiting is good, has me as a seven extrovert connector like screaming inside. Just know that. My body's uncomfortable just even saying like, just wait. You're like, no, I can't. I'm out. I can't. Be still. Can't. Be alone. Can't do it. But I want, I, want to, I want to challenge you with something. That rather than wishing your current season was over, a lot, of, a lot of us always want something to be different about our season. So rather than just God, like, get me done. Like, stop this season from happening. Rather than that, what if we viewed it as, God, what are you wanting to do in me? What are you wanting to speak to me? What if we used it as an opportunity to remember what God has done in the past? What if we use it as an opportunity to reflect upon all that God has done in the past to give us more assurance of what's to come in the future? And that would be my, my pastoral exhortation to you that are just like wrestling with where you're at right now. I would say, hey, I understand you want to be done right now, but recall all that God's done and how faithful he's been. That will help you to wait upon the Lord and give you more assurance for what's to come in the future. You see, with God, there's always purpose in what he does. There is a reason why your prayer is not answered yet. It's not haphazard. Or why God hasn't done that thing yet in your life and you're still waiting. There's a reason. He's not trying to punish you. He's not just trying to like do it for fun to like have you be miserable. There is a work that God is doing and wanting to do. When it comes to God, nothing, no season, no time, and no pain is wasted. We say that all the time. This is a waste of time. With God, it's actually not. It was a waste of time. I just had to wait an extra hour at wherever. It actually wasn't a waste because God had purpose in that. He always does. There's nothing that's wasted. When God has us waiting, there's no such thing as a waste of time. When we are waiting, God is working. And so, whatever it is that we're waiting for, we don't wait without hope. We, we actually wait with confident expectation. We wait with assurance that God is going to do what he said he would do. He's never not. Why now doubt him? Why now? Out of all of human history, why isn't he going to come through now? And what Advent is is the culmination of God's faithfulness to a broken and fallen and a lost and weary world. So because we don't stand with Abraham, but we actually stand this side of this timeline, 
we can have the assurance that as dark as the world gets or as long as the season we're in may feel or even when we feel as though God, you're not, I'm not seeing God move, what Advent does is we, it actually turns our eyes to Jesus and, remember, and it reminds us of what our God has done that he sent his only son into a broken world to draw a fallen people to himself. That his kingdom has come and it's coming and will be fully consummated one day. We know the end of the story. And our God is the same God today as he's always been. God's past track record is our future assurance. And so church, as we enter into a time of worship, you know, the second set of musical worship is built, it's designed to hit a pause button and a reflection button and a reminder button that you don't just leave. If you gotta go, I get it, I get it. But in bathroom, I get it. But it's not like the sermon's done, I'm out. No, no, this is the response time. This is the time where now you hear what God's done and now we can have time to reflect and remember upon who God is. All of us are facing something in front of us that we're intimidated by or scared by or in doubt of. And so this is the time, instead of just dwelling upon that, to actually look back and recall all that God has done culminating in the person of Jesus. So that now when we look at that, we're like, well, if God got me through that and he got the whole world through that, well, then he's gonna get me through that. Amen, church? Amen, let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you that you have always shown up. And thank you, God, that we, act, that we sit today in the place of actually having this history of countless ways in which you've been faithful to your people previously. Thank you that that emboldens us, Lord, to look to what's ahead. And even though we're in a season of, season of waiting, we stand from a place of assurance, knowing that you are gonna do what you said you did. You always, ha always has, you always have, and you always will. Lord, we thank you and we pray in this time of worship as we remember and recall all that you've done, that you would flood our hearts and minds with all the things that you've done. That we, like Israel, would not forget what you have done. Thank you for this space and time to just pause and reflect and remember how good you are. Love you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name.